Welcome to Iron Radio. Coming up, traveling 240 miles over almost four days. I like being out there for a long time. You know, see the sun come up and go down a couple of times and just uh, have time out there in the, in the forest alone to think about things and have, have a crew come with me and uh, pace run with me a bit. I don't know, I, just, I really like the challenge and the, and the problem-solving that happens when you're out there for that long because inevitably something goes wrong. Getting a personal best time in the marathon. I just read something the other day about how the, the training kind of is where you earn your medal and the race is where you uh, pick it up, and, and that's kind of exactly how I feel. I mean, I had a great, uh, great build, and it was great to kind of see what, uh, what could come of it. And how to keep the momentum going as winter approaches. I think sometimes as runners we get a little uh, greedy with the uh, fitness sometimes, but the way that training actually works, we actually have to kind of train up to that goal and then allow our fitness to come down a little bit in order to train up. So I like to always first emphasize to take some rest and recovery and reflect on the races and areas where um, you could improve uh, to come back better in the next season. On this edition of I Run Radio, the incredible Kathy Adams, who just finished second among women in a 240-mile race in Utah. She was running for more than 80 hours. Also, a runner who finished in a personal record time at the Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon within a week of his new child being born. And as the racing season comes to an end and colder, snowier weather approaches, we'll have some tips for you on keeping up your running. Let's get things started now with the editor and general manager of iRun, Ben Kaplan. Hello, Ben. Hey there. How's your week been? Oh, good. Thanks for asking. A lot of running and feeling fine, running into the wind. You know, it's gotten windy, <laughs> yeah. it's gotten cooler, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it feels like more of an accomplishment now just to sort of get out. So yes. I'm lowering my bar for what a successful run is. I mean, as you do in the off-season, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. And but, in fact, we're going to yeah. have some tips about the off-season coming up a little bit later. Uh, so, you know, how to how to keep it going, how to keep the momentum up, how to, how to right. you know, manage your running through the winter and be ready for spring again. But, yeah, this is a little bit of a challenging time because... Uh, you know, I, it's it's hard to get excited about going out the door when the weather's not as nice, right? Let's face it's, it. You know, no matter what sneakers you're wearing, they haven't quite developed sneakers yet that will sort of like, you know, insulate your ears. You know, it's just, it's yeah. unfortunately, no matter how much you spend, it's going to be relatively uncomfortable when it's freezing out. There's yeah. no real two ways around that yeah they've they've made sneakers running shoes that can make you go four percent faster apparently but they haven't made any that make you feel four percent warmer (laughs) (laughs) that's what they need to market come on nike Uh, come on yeah (laughs) where are you on this you know something like that yeah Yeah. something like that for sure but yeah i know i think that's good it's an interesting thing because it's like how do you keep it going keep momentum high but not burn out. I mean, it's very difficult to stay sort of in race shape all year long. Although if you can do that, you know, better, so you don't have to completely bring it back and then completely lose it and then, you know, have to build it all over again. I mean, you're very good at doing that. You're very good at sort of maintaining your weight year-round and your training schedule pretty much, right? Do you even, do you have an off-season? Not really. I mean, I, I yeah. you know, I, there, I, I try to do a long run every weekend, even when I'm not training yeah. for a marathon. So yeah. that way, yeah. when I do start training for a marathon, I don't have to ramp up as much. You know, that's kind yeah. of my approach. Yeah. 
but I'm not doing like 35 K runs. I'm doing 20, 21, that kind of thing. And then, then you build it back up when you're approaching the marathon. That works for me. It might not be for everybody, but, but that's what, uh, that, that's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. That really sounds, I mean, and I think I do that. Uh, that's relatively what I'm doing too. I do have a speed workout on Wednesday evenings, but I have to say, you know, I'm much more likely to hit. You'll never see me miss a Wednesday night when my race is two months away. Right. But now when I'm not even exactly certain what my spring race is, it's very hard to like ratchet up the intensity on a Wednesday yeah freezing cold Wednesday nights. But that's okay, right? I mean, you know, yeah, it doesn't have to right. be full on all the time. That's You want it to that's be sustainable. It. You want it to be manageable. But I like what yeah. you said earlier about the fact that even just getting out the door is the accomplishment now, right? That's, that's right. Yeah. You know, that's... if it's if it's minus five, and look, it's it's going to get worse, but yeah. if it's minus five at six o'clock in yeah. the morning and you're yeah. putting on a couple of extra layers and some gloves <laughs> and a different hat yeah. and you're getting yourself out the door, congratulations. Yeah. You've already won. That's... Doesn't matter yeah. how yes, far sir. you run, how fast you go, you've already won. And and I try to remind myself of that. Just getting out the door is the victory. You know, isn't that funny too? I mean, because you, I, I love this. I love when I talk to the elite runners and they say something that I find relatable to me. Like I'll ask one of the Olympians, like, "Boy, that's such an incredible run. How did you feel at you know thirty seven? And they'll be like, "Oh God, I thought this is terrible. I'm never doing this again. There's no <laughs> yeah. way I'm any way." You know, and it's always so reassuring. So to hear you say that you have to give yourself. You have to remind yourself that you are doing great. You started this running magazine and you've written a couple of running books and things, but still it's a thing that you need to, that it takes effort. I guess my point is for listeners and readers of the magazine and the blogs and all that to realize and remember that like, yeah, it takes you remember to reward yourself. Remember that it's hard. It like does, it remains hard, you know, and if you have to force yourself a little bit or, you know, that's okay and be nice to yourself and reward yourself and appreciate yourself. Yeah, I think that's great. And acknowledge yeah. that it is a constant battle. I mean, I, I run yeah. almost every single day and I've been running, you know, my first marathon was more than 15 years ago. And yet uh, I still worry that the wheels are going to come off and I'm going to go a week without running, which is probably never going to happen. But yeah. I still have that in the back of my mind, right? That, you know, if I don't go out today, if I make an excuse to not go running today, then then before I know it, it's going to be tomorrow and then the next day and then the next day. And then I'm not running anymore. And I know that's, yeah. you know, that's a little bit compulsive and probably overreacting to the risk. But but that's what keeps me going, you know, and just to yeah. have those... Every day is a is a test, and every day you want to pass that test. That's how I look Amen. at it. Amen. I mean, and that's you know that's a tough way to live. Like it'd be nice if you could just give yourself no homework for one Tuesday <laughs> night, you know. Yeah. But uh, you know, whatever it takes, and everybody exactly. has their own monster. If it, the great thing about the running too is, if it works for you, it works. There's no real secret. No. You know, there's no answer. There's no special sauce. If yeah. Whatever works for you, that's what works. Exactly. And it's and I'm not saying that's the way everybody else ought to be either. That's just what works for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like Great it. stuff, Ben. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it, my friend. Enjoy yourself out there. Ben Kaplan, iRun's editor and general manager, coming up next, running 240 miles in Utah. Registration is now open for the Tamarack Ottawa Race Weekend. It's Canada's biggest marathon weekend with a kids race, a 2K, 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, and the Lumberjack Challenge. Four races covering a distance of 59.2K. It's the event of the year, and we'd love to see you there. 
Kathy Adams of Chelsea, Quebec, just finished second among women in the Moab 240. That's a 240-mile race. Yes, 240 miles, not kilometers, in Utah. Kathy, welcome back to I Run Radio. Thank you for having me. So we've talked before about some of the ultra marathons you've done, but never 240 miles. Uh, what made you decide you wanted to go that distance? Well, uh, there's a race organizer in the U.S. Her name is Candace Burt, and uh, she has a race series called Destination Trails, and she has three races, uh, one that's 206.5 miles in the Cascade Mountains in Washington State, and then uh, Tahoe 200, which is 205 miles in Tahoe, California, and then she has Moab uh, 240, so 240 miles in Moab, Utah. So it was the last one in the race series that I hadn't done, so I thought, oh, I'll give it a shot. Okay, that sounds like a good reason, but those are all super long distances. Uh, you know, 50 kilometers is an ultra marathon. 240 miles is in a completely different category. What is it that appeals to you about these incredibly long races? Um, I think it's the challenge and the unknown. I like being out there for a long time, you know, see the sun come up and go down a couple of times and just uh, have time out there in the in the forest alone to think about things and have, have a crew come with me and uh, pace run with me a bit. I don't know. I just I really like the challenge and the and the problem solving that happens when you're out there for that long because inevitably something goes wrong. Yeah, you got to figure out. Sure. So, how long did it end up taking you? Uh, eighty six hours. Eighty six yeah. hours. And, and do do you over the course of that time, uh, how much of that are you moving? Uh, about eighty four. Okay. I, uh, I shouldn't say that. No, that's, I slept for about two and a half hours total. Okay. Uh, but, you, you know, you're coming into the aid stations. I think there was maybe 14 aid stations. They were about 25 to 30 kilometers apart. Uh, so, you know, sometimes I would come in and sit down for five minutes here and there or 10 minutes if I needed to, you know, change my shoes or something like that. So, yeah, you know. Moving as much as you can during that 86 hours. Yeah. So uh, literally, uh, we're talking here about almost four straight days of of moving. Yes. Wow. Yes, that's right. How do you prepare for something like that? Um, well, I have a great coach, my husband, Ray Zahab, <laughs> who probably many of your listeners know. Uh, Ray trains me, gives me a training program that I try to follow as best I can. I sort of, you know, the 80-20 rule. Um, so I run maybe four days a week. Uh, so not a, not a ton of volume for me. I don't need a lot of volume. I find a lot of it mental. And now that I've done a couple of 200 milers, I sort of have the, the memory muscle, if you will. Um, but I do, I do, I do definitely do run like four days a week. Okay. Now that doesn't seem like a lot. You, I would think you'd have to run 20 or 30 kilometers a day every day for, to prepare for something like this, but that's not the case. No, I would say, you know, during the week, if I get one or two runs in that are 45 minutes long, and then on the weekend, you know, a couple of back-to-back long runs. So I had, I think my longest run was eight hours. Uh, So not super long. You know, generally most of my runs on the weekends were two to three hours long. 
Okay. Um, and you mentioned Ray. Uh, we know your connection to Ray, of course, and the amazing things that he's done. Uh, and what, uh, you know, is this something that arose from you watching what he did? Or would you would you be doing this even if you'd never met Ray Zahab? Uh, probably not. I had, I didn't even think there was anything beyond the marathon. So when I first met him and he had done, I think his second ultra marathon, it sort of opened up my eyes to what was possible. Um, and in the beginning I still thought he was a bit crazy, but slowly you get, uh, you know, roped in and start thinking that, yeah, okay, that's, that's normal. I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) It's still not normal, Kathy. Uh, but it, but um, it can seem more normal, I guess, to to somebody yeah. who's done hundred mile races and and longer. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, so, it, tell me a little more about the experience you go through when when you're doing such a long race over so many days. What um, what do, what do you experience over the course of that eighty six hours? Oh, there's definitely ups and downs, times when you're doubting whether you can continue. Um, you know, your my stomach didn't hold up very well in this race. I had a hard time eating, so nutrition was a big one for me. I mostly survived on broth and coffee. Um, and, yeah, I just uh, I didn't have a, a great second day. There's a lot of dust. Uh, in in the area, like it's a you know a desert really, um, so I suffered again as I did in Tahoe with uh, a bit of a nasty cough. Uh, so then, you know I started to doubt whether I was able to kind of be able to continue and finish the race. Um, and so you know I had my team there who said you know you got to do what's right for you. And uh, you know bit by bit I just put one foot in front of the other and was able to continue. And really happy that I did. Yeah, and you talked about the physical preparation. What kind of mental preparation do you have to do, and and what does it take to keep going, even though when even though your body is is basically telling you to stop, you're getting all these signals to to pack it in, and you have to keep moving. Yeah, I think a lot of that just you know I definitely do a lot of visualization and uh, mental preparation going you know six months before the race starts. You know, try to visualize myself you know, crossing through the finish line and that sort of thing. So I think that helps when you've been thinking about it for so long and wanting it to to happen that you remind yourself of all your goals and, and how hard you work to get there. And so, you know, just telling yourself, okay, well, can I put one foot in front of the other, breaking it down into those simple questions. And if the answer is yes, then you need to keep going. Um, I managed well ahead of all the time cutoffs, so that was never an issue for me. So, yeah, I guess I just kind of shut down that uh, survival part of the brain and and use the other side that says, yeah, keep going. This is a great idea. Yeah, wow. You know, sometimes I, I think to myself at the start line of a marathon, uh, if it's 8 o'clock in the morning, I'll say, you know what, by noon this is all going to be over, no matter what, one way or another, it's all going to be done. Uh, for for this kind of event, instead of thinking in the, in terms of the next four hours, you're thinking in terms of the next four days, um, that just seems so daunting. How do you how do you overcome that? Yeah, so I definitely don't think of it that way at all. I think of it uh, getting to aid station to aid station, yeah. which I know are about twenty five to thirty k apart. And and again, I'm really just thinking one foot in front of the other, getting closer to the aid station, and then you know trying to at least drink or eat something. Um, in this one, I didn't see my crew for the first 115 kilometers, so there was definitely a lot of uh, 
it was a little more challenging than than the other two races in that in that respect, not having your crew to like cheer you on. So it was just you know chatting with some of the other runners and breaking it down into the you know just getting to the next aid station. And nutrition obviously is a big part of that, isn't it? You can't uh, you, you've got to plan that out because you uh, it, it is it is uh, such a long race that you need to be uh, consuming energy as well as expending it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately for me, even though I tried in my training, I would I tried different foods. I thought I had a, a great system, um, but on the on the days of, it just did not come together for me. I just was not able to really uh, eat anything. I just had no appetite, and everything just kind of turned my stomach. So I thought, okay, well, I had been eating a lot in the days leading up to you know burger and fries for lunch, which I would never normally eat. So I figured I had some stored calories on board that I could get, you know, used for the first couple of days. Um, and then it was just sort of, well, let's hope for the best. <laughs> you know, eat eat and drink what I can, but I also didn't stress too much that I wasn't able to eat. I'm like, okay, I still have energy. I can still put one foot in front of the other. So I didn't really focus too much on, on my nutrition. And tell me a little bit about the the terrain and, and uh, the environment you're running in in this particular race in Utah. Uh, so this one had about 30,000 feet of climbing and 30,000 feet of descending. Um, it was dry and dusty for sure. Um, really beautiful though. I mean, the scenery was epic. Uh, it was about 25 to 30 degrees Celsius in the day with full exposure. You know, you're, you're in the desert, so you have no tree cover. So that was a bit hot for me. Um, and then at night, it was the first night it got down to minus 10 Celsius with about 15 mile an hour winds. And it was, it felt incredibly cold. I had every single layer that I had on. And then I had to break out my space blanket and wear that over top. It was really cold. Wow. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And um, it, it, tell me about the lessons you learned from this experience that you can apply to the rest of your life. And and you have two daughters, of course. Uh, is there something that you want to show them with the running that you do? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they really are both the motivation and the inspiration for me. Uh, I just want to teach them that, you know, if you set a goal for yourself and you work hard and you really put the work in and you're passionate about it, you can make it happen. Um, so I really, I think a lot about them when I'm out there and just wanting to be able to tell them that, hey, I did it. I did what I said I was going to do. And obviously, I always caveat that when I when we talk about these things at home, about there are times where it's not possible to, you know, something comes up, I could have broken my leg. Um, so it's not always possible. But the goal is to, you know, set the goal, put the work in, and then, you know, try to try to achieve it. Um, yeah. Well, you've certainly done that, and uh, and you did really well. Are you happy with how it all finished for you? Um, I am. I'm happy with the placement, but uh, I would have liked to have been a bit faster, I have to be honest. I uh, My goal was to be faster than that, but uh, given the, the breathing issues that I had on the second day, I, you know, I did the best I could with the situation that I had, and so I'm happy from that perspective. I, I pushed forward when it was tough. Um, you know, I really challenged myself out there, and that was my goal. It wasn't a placement goal. It was, you know, go there, challenge yourself to ride above that threshold just slightly, you know, really just push yourself but not over the edge because you've got to be out there for four days. But, um, yeah, so I think really I'm, I am. I'm happy. 
And what's next for you? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, I don't know. I always uh, like to take a little bit of time afterward and uh, think about it. But I think maybe just some fun things next summer with, with the kids and the family and my friends. Maybe just some, you know, some little adventures here and there. Not sure if I have a race uh, in mind just yet. There's not a lot, not a lot beyond those couple of 200 milers in the U.S. So um, I'm not sure. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm sure you'll come up with something. There's another challenge out there for you. I, I'm, I'm sure there is. Kathy, congratulations. It's a phenomenal achievement. Thank you so much for joining us on Iron Radio. Thank you very much, Mark. Have a good one. That's Kathy Adams of Chelsea, Quebec. Coming up next, running to a personal best time in Toronto. Registration is now open for the Tamarack Ottawa Race Weekend. It's Canada's biggest marathon weekend with a kids race, a 2K, 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, and the Lumberjack Challenge. Four races covering a distance of 59.2K. It's the event of the year, and we'd love to see you there. Richard Kaczynski and his wife just had a baby, but that didn't stop Richard from finishing the Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon in a very fast time. In fact, a personal best for him. Richard also designed the race shirts for the event. Richard, welcome to I Run Radio. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Mark. And congratulations on the marathon. Well done. Thanks, thanks. I mean, uh, you know, I just read something the other day about how the the training kind of is where you earn your medal and the race is where you uh, pick it up. And, and that's kind of exactly how I feel. I mean, had a great, uh, great build and it was great to kind of see what, uh, what could come of it. Yeah, that is a good way to look at it. It is, uh, it can be like a victory lap for the hours and hours of training that you've put in because uh, it's not, uh, you know, it isn't obviously you have to perform that day and you've got to push hard and all of that, but you, the work was done before race day, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously you can go the other direction and can feel totally, you know, that all that training was sort of in a sense in a waste, although it never is if you have a bad race day, which I've had those. But, uh, yeah, when it all comes together, it's, uh, you know, in retrospect, you know, it's uh, something to be, be proud of, all the work that you put in. So you ran two hours and 15 minutes, which was eight minutes faster than your previous personal best. And eight minutes is a lot of time to shave off a personal best especially at that end of the speed spectrum. I mean, eight minutes uh, under three hours is is a lot of, uh, you know, improvement uh, percentage-wise compared to eight minutes in a four-and-a-half-hour marathon. Yeah, it, it's funny. I mean, I, I always say with running, it, it's all relative. I mean, even if you're whatever the, the you know fastest out of your group of friends or even the fastest in like Scotiabank for example there's always people who are faster pretty much and even if you think you're slow there's always people slower so you can only judge relative to yourself and yeah I'm happy with eight minutes at the same time you know last year when I first broke uh, three hours and I got my BQ it was almost a 30 minute PB so I mean I'm not comparing myself yeah. to myself but it's you know who, who's to say what's good and obviously I've talked to other people who you know they're happy if they get a 10 second PB and you know. Yeah. Well, look, number one, a marathon is a marathon and any day you run a marathon is a great day, no matter what your time. (laughs) And number two, any personal best is an accomplishment, even if it's by one second or two seconds, let alone 
uh, 10 seconds or 8 minutes. So that's always a good thing. And I would go further and say you will probably never in your life again have a 30-minute improvement over your personal best time, right? Uh, well, I mean, with kind of where my time's at now, I, I think that's not very likely. Yeah, <laughs> unless you're going to start uh, thinking about going to the Olympics, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, maybe I could imagine maybe 30 minutes, like, over multiple marathons, but probably not in one marathon. And, well, unless I don't race for, like, a very, very, very yeah. long time and train secret or something. Yeah. <laughs> now, all of this has been happening as you have celebrated the birth of your child, right? Your first child. Yeah, yeah, she came uh, exactly two weeks before before race day. Okay, so good time to taper. Yeah, I mean, having a having a newborn baby is the best distraction for all the taper crazies that that I could ever <laughs> recommend. Yeah, um, and so uh, obviously uh, this opens a new chapter in your life and in your training. I presume, are you getting ready to to run with a stroller? Uh, I, I can't wait. I mean, I already have the stroller picked out, and you know, timing-wise, it'll work out. She'll be you know, old enough in the spring. We can do that. And uh, chatting actually with Reed Coolset at the after party, he said he might you know have a lead on a on a stroller that uh, you know he could recommend. So <laughs> it's always good to talk to someone who's done it before. And, yeah, yeah, he's been there. Uh, for someone sure. like that, um, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about how the race went. Sure. Well, I mean, ultimately, I would have to say that this was by far my best build that I've ever done. I mean, I think it was the, uh, I want to say maybe fourth kind of consecutive marathon build that I've done over the last two years. Um, but really, for me, it was kind of one where all the pieces kind of started to come together. And it's, you know, a build where I've done things that I've never kind of done before. And I think that in the whole, it was all kind of those pieces that kind of made made it work. Um, my coach, who I've had for the past uh, two builds, uh, Jordan Collinson, he came on to Stridewise uh, running uh, in the summer, so I got kind of pulled into that group and you know had a huge wealth of knowledge with uh, Britt Moran and everyone else uh, on the team to be able to kind of coach me. Uh, did lots of track workouts uh, with the team, which is always great. Just I'm not a track guy. I've never you know ran in school or anything kind of like that, but um, being able to just chase someone around the oval and not look at splits or not worry about time and just try and keep up is is definitely a way to kind of get into another gear. I mean, I, I was so sore after some of those workouts that it was like harder than any race I've ever done. Um, I had a nutritionist this uh, this season, uh, so that was really interesting in terms of being able to drop some weight, uh, kind of focus on, you know, all those kind of things, at least to kind of start with, that would make me into a better runner, upping my protein and balancing the carbs and macros and stuff like that. Um, definitely one who's known to have a love of beer and pizza and, and <laughs> burgers. So, um, you know, I always say I ran to eat instead of the other way around. But, um, you know, that, that definitely helped, I think. Um, and then just kind of, yeah, adding in some strength training and really trying to like focus. I mean, for me, that kind of breaking three hours and getting my BQ last season at Scotiabank, um, after coming off of the race before that, Mississauga, where I had one of the worst races ever in my life. Um, it just kind of kicked me into kind of like seeing, okay, well, last race went great and let's see what's possible. Wow. So you did a lot of things differently, strength training, track workouts, uh, diet, nutrition, all of that. Um, tell me more about the, the nutritional aspect of it. How much did you change what you were eating? 
Sure. Well, actually, I first started working with nutritionists actually last year. Um, actually, funnily enough, my, my wife, she's also a runner. She's the one who kind of got me into it. She's the one actually who first also got me into a coach that Mississauga Marathon where I had a bad, bad, terrible run. Uh, she had a coach. I was self-coached. She's like, hey, you might want to try doing something different. So I got a coach. Uh, after that, she also started working with a nutritionist. She was actually first working with Rachel Hanna, and then Rachel put her on to um, another person uh, as Rachel kind of got out of that and started focusing on, on other things. So I, again, joined the bandwagon to work with a nutritionist. And, um, yeah, it just kind of, for me, has kind of been a slow kind of progress in terms of learning the right habits, you know, learning kind of what to do, but from my perspective, it's not too much, you know, kind of thought behind it. Like I'm not really into the technical kind of why I'm doing what I'm doing. I just kind of take a plan and kind of run with it. Yeah. But basically, well, that's, what, that's what's to, good about having a coach, right? Is you don't have yeah, to think sure. about it too much. You just take, yeah, I mean, you I put think your faith in there's them. There's different, I, yeah, I think there's different kind of runners and some kind of want to know exactly, okay, why am I doing this workout? Why am I doing this? Or why am I doing this, you know, nutrition thing? I, I mean, I love research and I, over research, you know, most things in my life, but you know, kind of when it comes to running, I just like to kind of turn off and, and just, you know, do what I have to do. Um, so yeah, with nutritionist, it was the same thing. Uh, it was like I say, focusing on just basically setting things up in terms of, you know, tracking my calories. So getting the ins and outs, uh, focusing on you know, replacing some, you know, things I was already doing with, with better habits. Um, and kind of slowly kind of getting me to a point where, yeah, I mean, I guess ultimately everything I'm kind of putting in is, is equal to kind of what I'm, what I'm putting out, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. It sounds like a key ingredient in your success was listening to your wife. <laughs> that's, I think that's a key ingredient in life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, now, I understand as well that you're a designer and you designed the race t-shirts for this year's Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon. Is that right? I did. I did. I, it was the second year I had the pleasure to work with Canada Running Series uh, to do the uh, official race shirts. And also I designed the uh, official souvenir apparel as well uh, with New Balance and actually the official beer as well with uh, Great Lakes and Runda Beer. So Okay, very cool. A, it was a big year. Yeah, good for you. And so how do you go about designing a race t-shirt? Uh, it's funny. I got into running actually because I was a running shoe designer and I got into the racer designing because I was a runner. And for me, it's just kind of all about, you know, like every runner kind of knowing that there's a drawer somewhere sitting with a whole bunch of race shirts that you don't wear and wanting to do something different. So maybe it was two years ago, I think I started talking with Kenner Running Series about, you know, opportunities to design some race shirts uh, since I was a designer and I was a runner, um, and I first did uh, Montreal Half, I think it was, was it last year maybe, and then did a bunch of other races. And with Scotiabank in particular, for me, it's, it's a really special opportunity because it is, for one, such a big race, such an amazing race. I mean, it's, it's I think, you know, maybe not biggest in, in numbers in the country, but it's you know, biggest in, in profile. Um, and it's a race that's so special because there's people doing it for the first time. There's people doing 5Ks, half marathons, marathons, international people, elites. Um, so it's really one of those races design-wise that kind of takes kind of a certain perspective to make something that ideally everyone is, is happy with. That's how I kind of approach it. And everyone wants to wear it. It doesn't go into that drawer that 
the only way when you're washing the yeah. car or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw the design. It looks terrific. Congratulations on that as well. Uh, uh, look, uh, congratulations on the baby and the race and everything you've got going on, Richard. You managed to juggle it all and do a PB at the same time. Well done. Thank you for being with us on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. That's Richard Kaczynski of Toronto. Coming up next, how to keep the momentum going into winter. Registration is now open for the Tamarack Ottawa Race Weekend. It's Canada's biggest marathon weekend with a kids race, a 2K, 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, and the Lumberjack Challenge. Four races covering a distance of 59.2K. It's the event of the year, and we'd love to see you there. Brittany Moran is a chiropractor, coach, and certified strength and conditioning specialist. She recently wrote for iRun about how to keep your momentum going from fall into winter and then into spring. Brittany, thank you for joining us on iRun Radio. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. And this is uh, an interesting time of year because everybody's doing their races. The weather's getting colder. The days are getting shorter. And there can be lots of incentives not to go outside and run anymore, especially if you're not training for something, right? Yes, absolutely. So what should uh, what should people do to kind of keep their momentum going after they complete a fall event or even if they're just even if it's not about an event and they're just kind of getting to the end of the year and feeling like they don't have time or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's lots of strategies you can use. Um, but the first thing I always like to emphasize is if you are kind of training through the summer, training to that big goal race, it is always important to take some downtime after it. I think sometimes as runners we get a little uh, greedy with the uh, fitness sometimes, but the way that training actually works, we actually have to kind of train up to that goal and then allow our fitness to come down a little bit in order to train up. So I like to always first emphasize to take some rest and recovery and reflect on the races and areas where um, you could improve uh, to come back better in the next season. Um but that's a, that's a great point. I'm going to jump in there, Brittany, because yeah. I think you bring up a really important point that uh, more isn't always better, right? That you you get this, you can get fall into the trap as a runner that, hey, if I did, you know, if I was doing 60K a week uh, a year ago and I'm doing 80K a week now, or if I, if I just did a marathon and I can still, I can get out again on the Tuesday after the marathon and start running again, I'm just going to be even stronger. And that's not always the case, right? Yes, absolutely. You definitely have to allow your, especially after a marathon, I think you have to really allow yourself to recover. It's a big event, and I think it the distance needs to be respected in a way, yeah. too. Absolutely. Yeah. So what else? Mm-hmm. Um, so then once you have recovered and reflected and, you know, you've maybe found some areas where you could improve, um, I think it's always important each season to kind of improve a different aspect of your training, and there's always something you can pr- improve with running. I mean, I've been running for decades now and there's still things I could improve on at each season um so you know maybe it's you know you weren't doing your strength training so maybe that's something that in the off season you can kind of start to work on getting that into your routine so that come when the serious training does come again um you can uh already have that in your routine um I think also you know getting out with a friend that maybe you wouldn't necessarily run with because maybe they're not exactly paced to what your pacing is um for training, but, you know, and there's not as much training that needs to happen, you can just kind of get out with a friend or inspire a friend to go for a run, encourage someone else to lace up and take them out for a run and show them how great it can be. Um, 
I think the other thing is, too, is, you know, there's lots of um, little fun races uh, in kind of the winter months as well. Um, and so doing a race just for fun, not for a time, can be uh, a way to kind of keep yourself um, in check and still training through the, uh, the winter months as yeah. well. Those are great points, and uh, I like that last one because not every race has to be really a race, right? You can go and exactly. participate in an event and just have a good time and enjoy the crowd and the, the other runners and all of that without it being, uh, what, what was your finishing time? Yeah, exactly, and I think there's a lot of races or events like that in and around Christmas, too. So, you know, sometimes it's, yeah, fun to, you can still learn a lot, I think, from um, entering an event, uh, whether it's a goal race or not. So let's talk more about running with friends because um, one of the big challenges can be to find somebody who runs at the same pace as you. How important is that? I have friends that I run with who are faster than me, and I have friends that I run with who are slower than me. Uh, is that okay if I'm if I'm mixing it up? Sometimes I'm running slower than I normally would because I'm running with somebody else. Yeah, I think that's great, and especially in that kind of off-season um, time, I think that that's the perfect time to do that when, you know, the pace of your run isn't so important. It's more so about just getting out there and getting some running in. Yeah, and I think the other thing is if it gets you out, that's the important thing, right? So these are all trade-offs sure. and balance sheets in a way. And if, if you're more likely to run because you're going out with a friend, then maybe the pace doesn't matter so much because at least you're getting out there and, and, uh, and exercising. Absolutely. I think one of the keys that this is what I always tell runners, you know, especially if they're doing their first half marathon or marathon or 10K, uh, I think what I try to underscore to people is you want to turn this into part of your lifestyle, that fitness and running are part of your ongoing lifestyle, not that it's all about some goal race and once you've ticked that box, you're done and you've lost your motivation to keep going, right? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And I think... um yeah, I think that that's a, an incredibly important point is that, yeah, you should be doing it because you enjoy it and you love it and it keeps you fit, fit and healthy. Um, and so, yeah, it shouldn't really depend on there being a goal race. I think it's just um, the intensity of your training kind of shifts. It shouldn't be that, you know, you just stop running for half the year and then pick it back up. Yeah, and as you said, you can focus on different things at different points in the year, um, and that, that'll help you mix it up a bit, right? That your workouts will be different, your the distances you're running will be different, so it's not the same thing all the time, which can get monotonous. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it just, you know, takes the pressure off when you're kind of in that off-season. Do it because you feel like it, you know, if you wake up one day and you're just like, I really don't want to go out there, you don't really have to in the off-season, but um, hopefully, you know, you want to get out there more than uh, you don't. And I think the other thing, too, um, like meeting up with different running groups even, too. There's so many running groups in Toronto anyways, um, and a lot of them are free and well, very welcoming, and I think it's a great opportunity, too, to go out and try different running groups um, and meet other runners, too, and see what other people in the city are up to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other thing you mentioned, there's, you know, we think of the running season as being... Uh, you know, you do a spring event, you do a fall event, and that's when a lot of the big races are. But there are events at other times of the year. Here in Ottawa, there's an event in Ottawa. Uh, there's an event called Winterman. 
that's in February, you know, so you can you can train for that. It doesn't have to be some race where you're going to do a super fast time, but it gives you something to work towards. You can look for other uh-huh. events on the calendar. If you're going to be doing some traveling in the winter, you can see if there's an event going on there. That might be something for you yeah. to work towards as well, right? For sure, yeah, absolutely. How about your own running, Brittany? How's that going? It's great, yeah. I uh, just raced actually on the weekend, and it was uh, really good, and I'm hoping to be towing the line in California in December. Okay, what event is that? Uh, California International Marathon. Okay, cool. And uh, you've had a good year so far? Um, I've had a challenging year. I I was actually really injured. Oh. This time last year, and so I just kind of got back to running. I would say I got back to training in May or June, and then started racing this summer again. So okay, it was a challenging year, but I'm back racing now, so I'm yeah. happy. Well, if you're working towards a marathon, that's a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and do you have any thoughts on, on winter running? Uh, because I know a lot of people... At that time of year, that you know, when it gets colder and there's snow on the ground and there's ice, that's when they start to lose some of their motivation. Yeah, I think that there's there's a few things that can make it a lot easier. Um, having the appropriate gear, I think, is really important. Um, I think having a jacket that uh, you know breaks the wind for you makes a really big difference because a lot of time it's the wind chill. And people are always, you know, questioning, like, oh, my gosh, you run in the winter. Like, are your lungs going to freeze? And that's not, that's a myth. It's not going to happen. By the time the air gets to your lungs, it's warm. Um, And, yeah, and, like, I mean, when I'm out there running in the winter, like, I sweat, you know. Like, you'll still get a good sweat for sure. Um, And, yeah, so I think having the correct gear. And then the other thing is knowing where to go. So, you know, some areas of wherever you live, um, maybe better taken care of than others so here in toronto the martin goodman trail um is always very well plowed and salted um and typically in better condition than the roads itself i think um so that's a good option here also the cemeteries in toronto are a really good option the grounds crews in the cemeteries um take really good care of the uh the roads during the winter and there aren't many cars through there so that's a good opportunity too that's a good tip um so yeah yeah, and then I think also just, you know, wherever your neighborhood is, it's just kind of learning, you know, who takes better care of their sidewalks and stick to those roads through the winter. Yeah, and sometimes you can find side streets where there isn't a lot of traffic, right? And then you have the flexibility yeah. of either running on the sidewalk or sometimes running on the road if, if you need to, and you know there's not going to be a lot of traffic, especially if you're going early yeah. in the morning or something like that. Um, I love that myth about, uh, about oh, aren't your lungs going to freeze? Because uh, when people ask me that, non-runners especially, I always, I always think, how do you think we made it this far as a species, right? Yeah. I mean, we weren't, yeah. we weren't living in heated houses in, you know, a thousand years ago. Somehow people That's were true. able to move around in cold weather yeah. and, and their lungs didn't freeze. So I think we'll be okay. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And I've made it, yeah. I've run every winter of my life. So I've made it this far. I think yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. The other thing I would just mention about um, winter running, though, too, is lights. So making sure, yeah. like, reflective gear and having lights. Because um, even now, I mean, um, I coach on Tuesdays, and the morning practice started in the dark, and the evening practice ended in the dark. So we're there, unfortunately. Yeah. So make sure that you are, you can be seen as well. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I was just noticing how my early morning runs have gone from – uh, starting in daylight 
and being entirely in daylight to being, you know, sort of half and half darkness and daylight. And now I get home and it's still dark when I get back from my run. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, you got to get used to that. Uh, but it'll, you know, it'll turn sure. around again soon. So <laughs> yeah. it's always that to look forward to. Brittany, thank you so much for this great advice. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's Brittany Moran, chiropractor, coach, and certified strength and conditioning specialist in Toronto. Coming up in the weeks ahead on iRun Radio, we'll talk to Dana Pitoreski, who will be representing Canada in the Olympic Marathon next year. Plus, one of the athletes who has made it into the Sports Stats Hall of Fame. I hope you can join us next week on iRun Radio. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.